Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be back with you guys. Uh, I took a break because we're having a baby, and I haven't been here for about three weeks. I mean, I've been here, but I haven't been preaching for the past three weeks. And so this week, as I was preparing, I was getting excited, getting more and more excited to be here with you all. So, um, but what we're going to do here is going to study God's Word. So grab your Bibles uh, and flip to the book of Psalms. We usually study books in the Bible, but as, uh, and you remember, we're studying the book of Jonah, and we had to take a break there because, again, we had a baby, and we were getting close to the Advent season. And so, uh, during Advent season, as a church, we take a pause and we study the Advent season. So we, we just study the coming of Christ and what does that mean for us. It, it's a chance for us to, in the midst of all the chaos, it's, for, it's a chance for us to remember who Christ is, why he came, and just a chance for us to slow down. And, um, and so we're going to do that. And then after Advent, after we're going to jump back in to the book of Jonah, we'll, we'll pick up in, in chapter 3. Uh, and, um, but for today... I want to start with this question. I want, I want you to start to ponder this question. Uh, when you are afraid, when you are afraid, how do you respond? When you are afraid, how do you resp- respond? When fear strikes your heart, how do you respond to that? So our daughter, Milana, was born. Uh, as you can tell, I'm really excited about to tell you guys that I have a daughter. Uh, it's like the third time I'm telling you. So she was born two weeks ago. And she's healthy, and everything is great. But when we were in the hospital, there were a few things that went not according to plan. And uh, after somewhat of a crazy first day, finally she was in the room with us. And, uh, and so she was with us. We had a pretty crazy night of sleep, very little bit of sleep, probably. Uh, not probably, there was very little bit of sleep. And so then, uh, the next day, we had to be discharged, we had just one thing that we need to go through. And it was just one hearing exam or one hearing test. It was a screening. And for this screening, what they do is they hook up these little things for her brain waves, and then they put these headphones and then make sounds. And if the sounds that go through her ears, and, and then they register her brain waves. So that's how they test hearing. And so after kind of a crazy first day for us, um, this, this is the second day we're thinking, okay, this is a piece of cake. It will be past this and we're going home. Well, uh, she failed it. She failed the test. And in that moment, the technician that was there said, look, it's okay. Often kids fail, uh, trying to calm me down. And, and then she was like, I'll come back in a few hours. We'll test this. If this is, you know, if she fails then, then you'll come back in a few weeks or one week or whatever it is and you'll just do this again. And, um, and so the, the, the technician leaves the room, and that moment, my mind starts to wonder. My mind starts to wonder, and uh, will my daughter be deaf? Will my daughter be deaf? How long will it take me to learn sign language? And then I'm thinking, oh, man, like, Sarah's probably going to be so much better at using the sign language than me. So, like, she probably will have a better relationship with my daughter. Like, this is, you know, and then my brain's just going. Like, I'm just, I'm just going and thinking... And of course, and of course, Mila passes the test the next time, um, the second time around. 
But fear was knocking at the door for me. My mind naturally took it to the extreme. And so for you, when fear strikes your heart, do you take it to the extreme too? Do you take it really far? Maybe you start to medicate with some sort of addiction. You know, when fear strikes you, you're like, oh man, I go to alcohol, or I binge watch a show, or it's, maybe it's porn, or maybe you just can't stop eating. Like, do you try to medicate that fear? Maybe you keep yourself busy so that you won't think about it. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all experience fear. Fear is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is our heart's response to fear that can be unhealthy. So what happens when we experience fear? Maybe, maybe you're palms start sweating. Maybe your mouth is dry or, or your heart speeds up. And so, so you, experience, you experience fear, you start to have some reactions. And those are physical reactions to fear. In fact, if you don't have some of these reactions, like if you experience fear and you don't have some of these reactions, then, then you should probably see a doctor. Just to let you know, like if you have if you experience fear and your, your palms are not sweating, your heart's kind of normal, you're just like, yeah, whatever, you probably should, something is not right with you, uh, if I can say that. Um, so those reactions are all part of what, what are called the fight or flight reaction. In other words, when you experience fear, do you run or do you fight? So if you're hiking and you see a bear, you should, you should experience fear. What you do next determines the type, of per, the type of person that you are. So if you are like me, then you run. If you're like Robert, then you fight. Right? So all of us experience these reactions. Anytime we experience fear, we experience the reaction of fight or flight. It's wired into us. So don't think of like fear, fight, flight, bad. No, like that's in, in all of us. And people who study fear also concluded that during moments of fear, the area of the brain that does critical thinking decreases significantly. So when you experience fear, the critical thinking aspect of it kind of decreases. And that means that when you experience fear, your judgment might not be at your best. And so when we experience fear, we, we can't think critically and we can be easily manipulated. And if you, if you don't and if you just you don't have to look far to notice this at play. Like if you're thinking, okay, I'm following with you, I'm tracking with you, give me some examples how this has played out. Well, just think of some of the bigger systems that are at play right now. Think of the stock market or the politics, or even just think of advertising, advertisement. They all have figured out how fear works, and they have been using fear as the way to either gain votes or change the direction of the market. Like a good politician, like if you are into politics, just look and observe. A good politician these days will tap into fear and utilize fear as a means to gain your vote. Like that's what they will do. They'll, they'll bring out fear in you and then they'll show you how they might satisfy that fear. Stock grows based on good news and when there's fear in the stock market, the stock starts to climb down. Even the things we buy... The things we buy are uh, influenced by what we fear. Like, if the company knows that you're afraid to smell bad, guess what? They will tell you what will make you smell better, right? So you, if your fear is smelling bad, guess what? Here's a product that you can buy to smell better. If you're afraid of your kid's safety, then the company can market to your fear and sell you a product that promises safety 
or wellness, right? So you're starting to see how fear is wrapped in so much of our lives. It's in every aspect of our lives. It's, it's happening. In fact, according to a recent article in Denver Post, fear is so much part of our lives that we're considered to be the most fear-driven culture to ever live. And this article talks about how, how we, live in a, that we live in a low-grade fear all the time. Because we're continually hearing about shootings and fires and dark webs stealing your identity. So because of some of these things, whether you think about it or not, you have this low level of fear that's there always. We all have it, whether you want to admit it or not. And on top of that, there's other fears that are happening in our lives, whether it's failing a hearing test or something else. And so in the midst of all this, is there any hope for us? Is there any hope for us? For those of us who are followers of Jesus, is there a better way to respond to fear? Is there any hope for, for Christians, for those who follow Christ, to respond to fear? Well, I believe the answer is Psalm 11. I believe that, that it's a Psalm 11, and so let us read and see what is our hope in the midst of fear. So if you're able, let's stand Let's read this together, and then we'll dive into studying this passage. So Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. This is the word of God. You can have a seat. So, David is the author of the psalm. He wrote this psalm, and, and when he's writing this psalm, he's in a very terrifying situation that not a lot of us can relate to. So I'm going to flat out state that, that not a lot of us can relate to what David is truly going through. Um, when he's writing this, he's not yet king. And there's another king who's still the active king during this time, and his name is Saul. And, and there was a point that Saul really wanted to kill David. And in fact, Saul leveraged all his resources at this point of the story to kill David. And, uh, and then that's the situation that David is writing this prayer. And, and the fear, fear that he may not live is on his mind as he's putting words down in a prayer. And, and out of this fear, verse 2 speaks, right? He says in verse 2, Flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow, and they have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So fear is knocking at the door, and, and, and this is either... David's thoughts, or it might be an advice from a close friend. Like, it might be a close friend advising 
David in this moment says, look, there's some people after you. You need to run, run. Um, and, but either way, it might be his thoughts in this moment. We're not sure exactly. But, but either way, the advice says, run. Flee like a bird to your mountain. There's some skilled men after you. The, they wick, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted the arrow to the string. Run to the mountain because these skilled men who want to kill you. And verse 3 says that if the wicked kill you, that there's nothing you can do. So run, run. And at first glance, right, like you, you read this and you're like, it seems like a wise counsel, right? Seems like, look, there's bad people after you. Run. But David rejects this. David rejects this. Why? Why does he reject this? It's not because fear is bad, but, be, but fear is not the issue here. In fact, fear can be a life-preserving instinct. David rejects this counsel because of one key phrase here in the advice. Right? And this phrase is this one. Right in the middle of the advice, it says, to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. He's rejecting this advice because fear has driven towards exaggeration. And isn't that what fear does? Isn't that what fear does? When fear takes over, the first thing that happens to your heart is that you start to exaggerate the facts. It is true that trained assassins are after David, but but these trained assassins don't have night vision. They can't shoot in the dark. At the hospital, fear took me to a place that I normally would not go and made me plan for a life that that God did not have planned for me. And that's what fear does. It moves our minds towards exaggeration. It exploits the unknown and it fills in the details. And those details are always blown out of proportion. Fear makes assassins shoot in the dark. Fear makes Milana, deaf, and I'm learning sign language. And so look at the fear in your life. Examine it. Maybe today is a moment where you go, okay, I don't like to think about fear, but look at it. Look face to face. Look, look at it and, and examine it. And I, I can't guarantee you this, but there's probably some exaggeration there. So the first thing we need to do in the midst of fear is to realize the exaggeration and, re- and reject it. David rejects this advice. And in verse 1, he tells us what will be his alternative. In verse 1, he says, In the Lord I take refuge. In the Lord I take refuge. I'm not simply fleeing to the mountain. And at first glance, when you read this, at first glance you see this, they sound a little similar, right? They sound a little similar because they both involve taking shelter, like taking refuge or fleeing to the mountain. In fact, if we place David um, and place this in David's life, he did run to the mountains. So what's the difference here? Why is he rejecting the friend's advice or maybe his own advice in that moment and, 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 take, and looking at verse 1 to take refuge in the Lord? The difference is what and who he's banking on. And so are you banking on God or on the mountain to save you? Are you finding real peace or are you finding temporarily relief and safety? Do you see the difference? Trusting God is trusting that God will be your refuge and he will deal with the source of your fear. While trusting, trusting the temporary relief, 
the opposite will be, well, temporary. It will be temporary. And temporary relief tends to have the illusion of safety and control, but in the long run, it will always fail. So if you're, so let me walk through a couple examples here. So if your marriage is in trouble, how easy it is to run to a book to save your marriage. If your health is in trouble, how easy it is to run to medication to save your health. If your job security is in in jeopardy, how easy it is to run to the online job site. How easy it is to run to a strategy as our solution in the midst of fear. And David sees the difference he knows that, and, and, and he, the, the, he knows that the fact that the ultimate refuge is in God alone. And remember, David ends up taking shelter in the mountain. So finding shelter in the mountain is not bad. Reading a book is not bad. Looking for a job on a job site is not bad. These are wise things that you could do, but don't look at these to sustain you. Don't look at these to, to, to give you life. Run to the true refuge. Because before he runs to the mountains, David runs towards God in the midst of his chaos and crisis. And so when we run to God, when that happens for us, then God is our physician. Then God is our counselor. Then God is the one who will redeem our lives. When fear is knocking at the door, it is easy to exaggerate isn't it? And then it's easy to run to something temporary to find relief. And David sees right through this. He sees right through this. He sees the exaggeration. He sees the temporary relief that won't be enough. So he proclaims. He proclaims. He says, God is my refuge. And if God is our refuge, then fear can't paralyze us. If God is our refuge, then we have God on our side. And when God is your refuge, it means that you will look beyond the temporary sources of relief. And also means that your heart will not churn to faulty source of relief. You see, some things that masquerade as refuge can actually make our circumstances worse. Some things that masquerade as refuge can actually suck the life from you. Uh, Let me give you an example of this. This is just an example, but you can apply it to many areas of your life. Apply it to any fear or crisis. So if your marriage is struggling and you fear that divorce is knocking at the door, running to porn will not save your marriage. Running to food will not save your marriage. Running to alcohol will not save your marriage. Running to another woman will not save your marriage. Those might make you feel better in the moment, but they are temporary and they will create a destructive cycle. God alone is the one who will soften your heart and transform you in a way that brings life. He alone is able to give you peace. So for me at the hospital, I I went towards exaggeration. I went there, and then, and then there was a moment where I wanted to take some, just, just air. I wanted to go outside, so I drove off. I went and bought some Starbucks, and then I ended up at Target, and I'm walking, and at that, that day, I bought a bunch of random things at Target that I don't really need. Like, I really, like, if you, if you look at it, I came home, I, I came to the hospital. I was like, Sarah, I bought this, this, and this. She goes, why? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, because I think I just was, in some ways, just wanted to cope with the situation. 
I was running towards this. I was doing exactly what this is teaching me not to. And God says in this psalm, rely on me, Sergei. Let me be your refuge. I got you. And the psalm is saying the same thing to you. God is your refuge. Proclaim that God is my refuge similarly to David means relying on him no matter what happens. He got you. He will walk with you no matter the hardship or beauty that comes out of your circumstance. But let me pause for one second there. Just so you know, when you take refuge in God, this doesn't mean that your circumstances will change. What it does mean is that your heart will change. Your circumstances may or may not get easier. Just so you know. You know, so often in Christian circles, it's like, rely on God, things will get better. That's just not true. That's not the truth. It means that your, your heart will change. Even though you walk through the valley of shadow of death, you will fear no evil because you know that God is with you. God is with you. So maybe you're sitting here. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, how do I know that God is trustworthy refuge? How do I know that God is a trustworthy refuge? Well, David explains this. David walks through the next verses, verses 4 through 7, showing us why he leans on God as his refuge. So notice in verse 4 um, in verse, and in verse 5, the Lord is all capitalized. It's placed at the beginning of the line. Um, that's done on purpose to emphasize this covenantal name of our God. It's to point to the fact that God cares for his people. He cares deeply and faithfully. And then David gives us three reasons why we can trust him. First, we can trust this God because he's in charge. We can trust this God because he's in charge. In verse 4, he says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So what he's saying is that the Lord, this personal God, is on a throne in heaven, and you can trust God because he is in charge. I don't need to say this, but you're not in control. God is. You're not in control. God is. He is the king of kings, and he will execute justice in his timing. But do we believe this? Do we believe this? Do we believe this about our God? Do we believe that our God is the king who rules over everything? If we don't believe that God is in charge, then, then we'll, it will be very difficult for us to trust God as our refuge. If we don't believe that God is in charge, then fear will lead us towards some strategy to control our, or, or, or uh, some strategy to control our circumstances. Fear will lead us towards a temporary relief. Fear will lead us towards a faulty refuge. But God is our king. God is in charge. And to, to break the cycle of fear and control, it is to let go. It's to surrender to the king, the king who is in charge. And if we do that, if we surrender to the king, then, then will we trust his wisdom? You see, you can't say, yes, God is, in God is in control without trusting his wisdom. Because David continues in verse 4, right? At the end of verse 4, he says, His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. 
So in the midst of fear, in the midst of uh, crisis, we often attempt to control our circumstances and we stumble farther, farther and farther into this endless cycle of fear. But David is saying, trust the, trust the king's wisdom. Trust the king's wisdom. The king is ahead of you. His eyes see and his eyelids test the children of men. No matter what crisis you might be in right now, no matter what fear you may be experiencing today, God is the king who knows you. God is the, he is the God who walks with you. But I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you that this is hard. This is hard. Acknowledging that God is king is the easy part. It is the easy part, but living this surrender is hard. There are two things that happens to us. We try to take control back from God, kind of like the, in the prodigal son story, like the younger son. We, we don't want to live under God's control. We don't want to live under the Father's control, so we just say, I know what's better for my life, and so we take off. Or we want to control God, like the older son, and just, just stay with the father, but want to control him with our good deeds or our good behaviors. So you see that our lives still want to control and not surrender. But what David is telling us, that we need to surrender to this king. We need to surrender and trust his wisdom. And you see, both of these gutters... That happened to us. We, we, both of these gutters uh, that, that tend to fall on us and we try to live in them, that both of them scream that we don't trust God's wisdom. That, that we, both of them scream that we don't trust this king. There's a story in the book With about a Dutch priest, Henry Nguyen. 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 Um, Henry Nguyen. And so Nguyen was this, if you have not read any of his material, I would encourage you to read some of his stuff. It's brilliant. And uh, Nguyen once went to a trapeze show, and he observed some that, that many might not notice, right? So he's sitting there, and he's observing as people are flying through the air, as they're flying through the air doing tricks and stuff. And so he's observing that the person flying through the air is not really the star of the show, Everyone is looking at that person who's flying in the air and doing all these flips, but the flyer is only able to do these flips because he's fully, he fully trusts that he will be caught. He later wrote, he said, I can only fly freely when I know there's a catcher to catch me. God is our refuge and he will catch us. Will you trust the catcher? Will you trust in the one who is in charge? Because if we, tr- if we trust the catcher, if we trust the king, then we'll trust his wisdom for our lives. So for us to take refuge in God, we need to trust the king. Then we need to trust his wisdom. And then lastly, David says that we need to trust his presence. In verse 7, for the Lord is righteous, for he loves righteous deeds, and the upright shall behold his face. So we need to acknowledge, uh, we need, to, we need the, the knowledge of God's presence, his face. In uh, that presence, the face of God with us is exactly what we will be studying during Advent season, right? The king didn't stay in heaven, he joined us here on earth. 
Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He joined this earth. And as 1 John, 1 John, John is talking about this. He's talking about uh, Jesus coming to this earth. And 1 John 4, 9 through 10, he says, in, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but in that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The king joins this world, not just so we can clearly see what God is like, but he joins this world to die for our sins. Jesus is God with us, and his love is the only thing that can conquer our fears. Because in his love, he came so that he can die on our behalf. When we see that, when we see what he was willing to give up to endure for us because he loves us, we find refuge from fear. We find refuge from fear because we see that great love. And that love of the cross is the only love that will transform us into the people whose eyes are fixed on His face. That love is the love that destroys fear and lets us into His presence. Uh, Just a few verses down in 1 John 4.18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The cross casts out all fear and opens our eyes to see that God is our refuge. So whatever is going on in your life, whether you're living in this just a level of low fear or maybe you're experiencing great fear of whatever that is, the answer is not to tap into those fears and start swimming in them. The answer is that Jesus, the King, is our refuge. He is the answer. And for us, that that means that we need to surrender our lives to His rule. That means that we don't, don't, don't try to take away that control back. We surrender it. We live, and we can delight in that because we can look at Jesus and His great love because His love transforms. His love casts out all fear. So may we be a people who run to God no matter what crisis may be knocking at the door. May we be a people who rely on God to be our refuge. May we be a people who trust this King. May we be a people who trust His wisdom and experience His presence. Let me pray for us.